you join me in prayer as we continue to worship? Father, thank you so much for the gift of marriage, Lord. Um, we know that it pictures Jesus in the church, and so it's so important. Uh, we were made in your image uh, as Trinitarian beings to reflect back to you who you are in your glory. I pray that you would help our marriages to do that, Lord. And I pray for this morning that you will give me wisdom and that you will give uh, your word, um, it's grace that it will be seasoned with salt and effective for the work of the ministry. May we be built up and encouraged, blessed, challenged, and bring you glory. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Well, welcome here if you're just joining us or if you rushed in, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Hope you found a good spot to sit and engage in worship my name is Pastor Jeremy Lobdell, and at our church at Midland Free, we want to be a gospel-centered family where everyone we encounter moves closer to Jesus every day. And so one of the ways we do that in a big way is we engage God's word. We proclaim the gospel. We talk about the gospel, and we watch it transform us. And so this morning, we are going to continue in that great tradition of proclaiming the word proclaiming the gospel and allowing it to affect our hearts. And we'll do that in Colossians chapter 1. We're starting a new sermon series. If you have your Bible, you can turn to 1 and hold your finger there. And if you don't, uh, it's okay too because our words are going to be up on the screen and the lower thirds if you're watching at home. So Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. But uh, before we start reading it, I want to... I had a bit of a throwback the other day and I want to familiarize you with this experience that I have because I pretty sure most of you haven't. In fact, there's only about three people in this room who share this experience. Any guesses what that might be? Kids? No? There's Well, my kids, right? Yeah, good point. That's it. That's a good one. Okay, this is kind of fun. Any more guesses? Nope. Oh, well, here it is. I'll give away the answer. Um, it is a place called C and R. You remember that? C and R. Now, how many of you know what C and R is? Anyone? All right. How many of you know what Meyer is? Oh, everyone. Okay, good. Back where we were from, there was a place called CNR. And if I would have said, How many of you know what CNR is? Everybody would raise their hand because it's a lo- local grocery store. Guess what? Before, you'll never believe this. Before I moved to Michigan, I had never, ever, ever heard of CNR. It's true. I hadn't. I'd only heard of, or sorry, oh, I just blew it, didn't I? I said CNR. Meyer. I had never heard of Meyer, ever. There was no reaction on the CNR. I was like, wow, why, that was not good. That did not work. I had never heard of Meyer my entire life, ever. And uh, now it's just like part of our DNA, you know? I mean, it, the other day, everything shut down, and it's COVID, and it's winter, and there's nothing else to do, and it's Saturday night. And I'm like, hey, I know what I'll do. I'll go to Meyer. <laughs> why not? <laughs> and I saw people there, many of you. I'm like, hey, hey, it's Meyer. Here we are, all of us. That's the way it was at CNR in this little town. It was even smaller than Midland. It was like 1,200 people, and there was one grocery store, and you didn't want to go 20 miles to the next town to pay, you know, 
25 cents less for milk, and so everyone went to CNR. It stood for Clem and somebody else. I don't remember the other guy's name, but I knew Holland Clem um, before he went home to heaven. He was a church member. And now there's about 11 CNRs in the, just in this little pocket of Michigan. Now, let me tell you this. If you forget CNR and never remember it again, I don't care. <laughs> That's great. No big deal. But I actually do want to use those two initials to tell you about someone that I hope you never, ever, ever forget. And so today, the way in which we're going to unpack this portion of Scripture is in two big points. And I'll show you them directly. And they are basically C and R. C and R in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. Colossians 1, 15 says this, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of the Godhead was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in the body of his flesh by his death. In order that, for this purpose, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning, as we engage God's words, there are two things, the CNR, that I want to pull out of this text. And the first of which, of course, is the C, the C. The C, you can find in verse 15. In verse 15, if we can pull that up real quick, we'll look again at verse verse 15. It says that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is is the creator. Jesus of Nazareth, the guy who walked on this world 2,000 some years ago, he made it. He is the creator of everything. And that is why this text calls him the firstborn of creation. Now, there's another firstborn coming here in a minute, and we'll get to that, but let's walk through really quickly what this means. The firstborn of creation. Depending on what background you come from, this may or may not have associations with it. Some people have been involved in different cults, and one of the cults will use this in particular to say that Jesus is a created being, that he is not eternal, but instead at one point he was made just like everyone else after that. But that could not be further from the truth. What this is referring to is not that Jesus was made, but instead that he is maker. 
Not that he was the one made, but he was the one doing the making. Look at verse 17. Verse 17 says he is before all things. And then verse 16 says he created all things. In other words, we're not talking about the person who is made, but the maker. That every single thing that there is, Jesus has his fingerprints on. He was part of it. Think of creation like a project where you have an architect and a foreman and a laborer. Architect would be God the Father. The foreman would be God the Son. And the laborer would be the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters in the face of the deep. This project is carried out in Trinitarian unity by the one God. And each of the three persons were a part of it. God the Son is the firstborn in all of that process. He is the maker And as such, what that does is essentially equates him with God. That Jesus is fully God. That's why in this text it says all the fullness of God dwells in him. Make no mistake, he's not like any other created being, but instead he is the creator. Now that's really big and that's really cool and that's really neat. But what does that mean? What that means is that as the creator He owns it. It's his. It's his project. Therefore, everything in it is going to go the way he wants it to in the end. And everyone in it is going to have to submit to him. To him, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Whether willingly or unwillingly, no matter what, everyone will bow to Jesus. He is the ultimate, almighty, all-powerful God, and there is nothing that can stop him or thwart his plan. He's the king, he's the ruler, he's God, he's powerful. He is C, he is creator. That gives us hope, because we know that there will be justice in the end, that wrongs will be made right, that there is someone to whom everyone will be accountable to, even if it looks like in this world they're getting away with it. Jesus is the judge. He is the creator. That's why we don't judge. Because we don't take his role away from him. It is his and his alone. Christ is the creator. Number one, he's the creator. Number two, not only is he the C, but he's also the R. He is the redeemer. He is the redeemer. Look at verse 18. Look at verse 18. In verse 18, it says that Jesus is the firstborn among the dead. The firstborn among the dead. Now, the first thing we said was that he's the firstborn of creation. Now we're saying that he is the firstborn of the dead. These are the two lines that Paul is holding in parallel to explain to us how beautiful, wonderful, powerful, and perfect Christ is. These two things set it apart. And so, For example, if he was only creator God and judge, that wouldn't be enough for us. We would be in trouble. But not only is he creator, he is also redeemer. Verse 20 and 22, it uses the word reconcile. Verse 20 talks about his shed blood. Jesus is the best, not only because he is creator, but because he is redeemer. He is redeemer. In other words, what Christ does in his person that nobody else in the history of the world, past, present, or future, can ever do is hold it all together. 
He is the God-man. He is both creator, ruler, and judge, and he is savior, shepherd, and friend. He makes our story work. If either of these pieces of the equation were taken away, Christianity would fall apart. If Jesus is not God, then our religion is a wash and a waste. If Jesus is not fully man, then he cannot be our redeemer. But because he is fully God and fully man, then all of it comes together. That is why in verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, in him all things hold together. Most of the time we think of that and we're like, oh yeah, you know, the sun, the moon, the stars, if we are a fraction of a fraction closer, we'd burn up, fraction of a fraction further away, we'd fall apart, and Jesus makes it grow, and that's really cool. But it goes beyond that. He not only holds the planets in place, but he holds our future as well. Listen to these two words and see if you can tell what I'm saying. Christology leads to eschatology. Christology leads to eschatology. What I mean by that, Christology is a study of Christ. Eschatology is a study of the last things. When you understand who Jesus is as fully God and fully man, then you understand where the future of this whole thing is going and what our place and purpose is in it. Because of who he is, there is a future. Let me say it a little differently. Let's try it like this. Ready? This is a fancy way. He made it. We broke it. He'll fix it. Amen? He made it. We broke it. He'll fix it. You see, who he is, is he's this God-man that brings the two together and bridges the gap. And there's no other way to go to God but through him because of the perfect creator becoming the perfect redeemer, then we have perfect redemption and a future hope in heaven. Jesus is our creator, redeemer, our king, judge, ruler, our savior, shepherd, shepherd, friend, the God-man. He is power and he is love all rolled up into one. And that's so important because guess what? We need both. When I go through my life, some days there's like, Lord, I need your power. Woo! Show it. I'm so weak. I'm so tired. There is no way I can get through this. Show me your power. God, help. Fix it. And there's other days I go through the week and I'm like, man, Lord, did I ever blow it? Oh, boy. Again? Yeah, again. Same thing? Yeah, same thing? Ugh. Terrible. Lord, show me your mercy. Show me your compassion. Show me your love. Be my God, my King, my ruler, my Savior, my shepherd, my friend, my judge, everything all rolled up into one. I need them both. I can't get by without either. And that's why Jesus is absolutely the perfect and the best because he's the C and R, the creator and redeemer. Theologians call this the hypostatic union. Whatever you want to call it, I don't care. Just remember that Jesus is fully God and fully man, and we have to have that or there's no hope. It's not a self-help fix-it plan or anything else that's going to get you by. There is one. One hope for humanity. One hope for redemption. One hope for us. And one hope for our world. And his name is Jesus. So, Jesus is the best because he's a CNR. Now, 
if Jesus is the best, wouldn't we want to get more of him? I mean, I would. I mean, there's a lot of things I want more of. I mean, if if that whatever tastes pretty good, I'll take seconds. Or if this is helpful, give me some more. And if Jesus is the best, why then would I not want more of him? I want to say to you this morning, if you're in this room, maybe you've been going to our church for a long time, you've been in church your whole life, but you've never accepted Jesus, that today is the day. Maybe you're watching online and you just got dragged into the room because somebody else has turned on your TV. Pay attention to this. Jesus is talking to you, not me, but the Son of God himself. And what he is saying is that if you want future, if you want hope, if you want the forgiveness of sins, then you have to believe in him. Only through his death, burial, and resurrection can we be forgiven. And if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, then you have no hope. But if you do, then you have the guarantee of eternal life. We ask you to do that this morning, not for us, but for you. Number one, how do you get more of Jesus? Well, accept him, believe in him, repent, and allow him to forgive you for your sins. That's the first thing. Number two, maybe you've already done that before and you want more of Jesus. Here's the really funny thing about him. But it's completely consistent with everything he said. The more you give, the more you get. Or in Jesus' words, it's better to give than receive. Or if you try to preserve your life, you end up losing it. But if you lose your life, you end up preserving it. In other words, how do we get more of Jesus? We share him. We share him. And the more of Jesus you share, the more of Jesus you actually receive. Now, if you've been in church before, you probably think, oh, this is where the pastor talks about evangelism. At some point, I will. But let me tie it back to exactly what we're talking about today. That is the C&R, the creator and the redeemer. And let's talk first about the creation. The creator made us and he made the creation. And we call that natural revelation or things that are made that reveal God. And what I think is, is that at this time in life, when we're shut inside from COVID and bad weather and whatever else, guess what? We need to get out more. If God is the light of the world, if God created light, and if there are things to be learned about him from light, then we need to go out and see the light of day. And I recognize the weather is really, really bad right now, and it's hard to get outside. You've got to be careful on the ice and this and that. But there is such a thing as something called seasonal affective disorder. And that's when you don't have enough sunshine, and all of a sudden you start feeling bad. And it can affect you either dramatically or only a little bit. Sometimes you don't even realize it. But the way in which we have been created is to enjoy the light. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you want to get more of Jesus, one of the ways to actually do so is to go outside. It's not that complicated. It's not that fancy. It's actually pretty simple. It doesn't require anything specific like great skills or anything else. You just go outside. You unplug turn off your headphones, put down your phone, breathe in, breathe out, and listen. Begin to pray and ask God to meet you there. And I think he will. One of the ways in which God engages us is through his creation. He is creator. Of course he does so. 
Not only through his creation, but also through being creative. Now, how many of you in here are just curious? It's, it's okay, either way. How many of you would describe yourself as creative types? Creative? How many say you're non-creative? All right. I would, you know, it depends on the thing or the subject, but I'd probably put myself in more of the non-artistic circles. But I recognize that God is an artist God, and he expresses himself through creativity and beauty. And so recently, one of the things I've started to do is, hold on for it, wait a minute. May have to turn in my man card here in a second, but I'll get it back. I've started coloring. I've actually started coloring. Now, it's not the, you know, super tiny little intricate little things. I've got the great big Mandalio ones, you know. And I've got my um, gel pens all neatly laid out to reflect my OCD side so that I can go, you know, this color, this color, this color, this color. And whichever one I'm using, I turn that pen upside down so I know where to come back. Anyways. There's something about God and creativity and enjoying his world in creative and beautiful ways. And he shares himself with us at those times. And it's different. I'm not saying you hear a voice from heaven. But what I am saying is, for example, if you take up coloring, I'm not saying you have to be a colorer to be a good Christian. It's just an example. But if you take up coloring, maybe what happens to you is what happens to me. And you sit down at your kitchen table and you start to color. And all of a sudden people come around. Like, wow, people are around and they're talking and I'm listening to them because I don't have headphones in. I'm not checking my email. I'm not worried about this or worried about that, but I'm coloring. And all of a sudden we're sharing God's creativity together and engaging one another and listening and talking. And it's different. It doesn't have to be beautiful outside in order to do that. Number one, one thing you can do is go out more. Another thing you can do is color. Here's another one that I think is actually important that many of us don't even realize, and that's music. Music's a big one. You know, God is a creative God. He established rhythm. He gave us all these metrics and things and made the world work the way it does. Music is one of those expressions of God's creativity. And uh, as you may know, one of the things that I like to do is work out. Now, when I'm working out, I don't want to listen to just as I am. Okay, if you know that one, it's an old hymn and it moves really slow. Like, I'm not working out to be just as I am. I'm working out to be something else, right? I don't want to be just as I am. I want to go, you know? So I need something a little more peppy, something to get me moving. But I need to think about what I'm putting inside of my head because after I'm done working out, I don't want to be discouraged or depressed or down. I want to be refreshed and closer to Christ. I need to listen to what's actually going on inside of my head. And I want to encourage you, I don't know if you like country or rap or whatever else, but find some Christian music that you can listen to. Get to a point where everything that's coming into you is good. And then you'll see some change. God is a creator God. Outdoor time, coloring music, they're not ends in and of themselves. They're just suggestions. But here's another one. That's the C, here's the R. The R is, what is the R again? Christ is our what? Redeemer. Exactly right. And so, 
We should share not only in his creativity, but in his redemption as well. We should share not only in his creativity, but in his redemption as well. And of course, one of the first and best ways to do that is through evangelism. By sharing Jesus, you get more of Jesus. I know if you've been in church for a long time, you hear the word evangelism and you're like, oh man, this is going to be tough. You know, they may not like what I have to say. They may feel like I'm judging them or condemning them or trying to sell them something. But here's what most often happens, I think. There's times you'll get rejected for sure. But most often we go into it anticipating it being way worse than what it's actually going to be. And then you share just a little bit. And even if they don't accept it, they appreciate your transparency and your openness and your sincerity and they can see the love in your eyes and concern for them. And it doesn't matter really what you're saying. But when you talk about Jesus, there's just something good. And you come away from that feeling better. You feel lifted up. You went into it thinking, oh no, I'm going to mess this up. I'm going to blow it. But then however, regardless, whatever, at the end of the day, when you share Jesus with someone, you feel good about that. It feels good. Try it sometime. I guarantee it'll feel good. Share Jesus. When you give him away, you actually get more of him. Now, I recognize that this is COVID, and a lot of us are holed up in our houses, and there aren't necessarily a lot of people. Your office may be your basement. Okay. Share him with your family. Share him with your friends. Well, my friends and family already know Jesus. Great. Then feel free to talk about him. Believe it or not, I actually struggle with that. A little bit sometimes. Why? Because when I'm home, I want to be done. Like I'm done talking. I used all my words today. (laughs) My word count is out for the week. I'm done. I did it twice. I'm done. (laughs) But I need to be ready. I need to be willing to engage I shouldn't hole up in and of myself and try to recover, but I need to be open to the conversation ahead of me and as a result, receive the encouragement that I'm really after. We need to share Jesus more, even with the people of our own house. Number three, here's one, and this is one that um, you may think I'm just being like a little nerdy pastor, but I, I think it's actually really helpful and something that could significantly Um, propel your spiritual journey. And that is this, to consider at some point going online and taking a correspondence class in Bible theology or especially Bible study methods. Now, why do I say that? Because the tools you receive in those things are the things that will help make the scriptures come alive. Theology is like the landmarks. So when you're reading along through the Bible and you bump into something, you're like, oh, I know what that is. I know where that belongs. This goes here and this goes here. It gives you the hooks to hang things on. And Bible study methods are the ways in which it teaches you to read this beautiful gift we call Scripture. So, for example, in today's text, when I'm reading through it, and I see he is the firstborn of creation and he is the firstborn among the dead, I say, aha, that's parallelism. 
That's Hebrew poetry that the Apostle Paul is using to engage our hearts and our minds. And he's setting those things up in parallel and in contrast to each other to show me something. What is he showing? And then my theology jumps in and it says, do you remember the hypostatic union? I'm like, whoa, oh yeah, that he's fully God and fully man. Well, take that fully God and fully man, stick it over here with the firstborn of creation, fully God, and the firstborn among the dead, fully man and what do you have the hypostatic union look at that there it is it's so beautiful in this tiny little section of scripture god has wrapped up the depths of who he is and the most profound truths in all the world that jesus is the god man and when you begin to study like that man things come alive and and you don't have to be a phd or a, a pastor or anything else all you have to do is like click on one of these links and get a correspondence course and everything's virtual and correspondence nowadays and it's made for normal people and yet it can help us so much to grow in our relationship with god so if you've never done that i really would i'd encourage you at some point to take a class and just see how it goes you're not trying to get an a you're trying to learn about jesus it's okay so number one, participate in his redemption in evangelism with others, in sharing Jesus in your own household, in growing in your faith. And the last one, the last one we need not forget is confession. Is confession. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, if you don't confess, you're never forgiven. If you don't confess, you're never forgiven. And if you want to be part of Jesus' redemption, you've got to confess your sins. And not just once, but over and over again. And what it does is it cleanses your heart and it renews your mind and it makes that relationship right so that you can walk through life in a beautiful, joyful, peace-filled way. But you can't do that if you're carrying the load and burden of your guilt and debt and remorse then you're always drudging through the muck and dragged down and dirty and carrying that with you. But if you can release that, if you can go to God and say, Jesus, you're my king, my judge, my ruler, but you're also my shepherd, my savior, and my friend, and I need you and your might to take this burden from me, and I need you and your love to express your forgiveness, then I'm free. And I get there. But it doesn't stop there because most of the sins we do, you know, are not just against Jesus. A lot of them are against other people. And so to fully experience that freedom, we need to go to that person and confess as well. But, I, but, I, but Pastor Jeremy, that's hard. I, I don't want, if I confess to them, they're going to hold it against me. Or they're going to beat me up with it. Or they're going to use that as a tool to manipulate me. Well, okay, they might, but there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if Christ has set you free, then you are free indeed. And if you really believe in his power and redemption and love, then who are they to hold a grudge against you? If you've been covered by Christ's blood, then you're clean. And that gives you the freedom to confess your sins even to other people. Number one, evangelism. Number two, sharing it with people in your house. Number three, basic theology or Bible study. Number four, confession. Four ways 
to participate in Jesus' redemption. So as I said at the start, you know, I don't really care if you remember Meyer or CNR or anything else. But I really do want you to remember Jesus. He's your creator and he is your redeemer. And that's the thing that makes him the best. And if you want to get more of him, then the way to do so is by sharing in his creativity and sharing in his redemption. Father, we thank you and praise you for today. Thank you for Jesus, your son, our creator and redeemer. Thank you, Lord, for his love and mercy and grace. And thank you uh, for putting up with me, for putting up with us, for tolerating us for this long, for extending your patience for more to come to know you. Lord, now as we get ready to take uh, the Lord's Supper, I pray that you would cleanse us and renew us again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.